HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're looking at the way labels shape our perspectives on food. I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but is it acceptable to judge a wine by its label? There are some labels that I'd say are so bad they're good. As long as your paperwork's in good shape, you'll get a grass-fed label. Tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925. The first and finest enameled cast iron cookware and a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. Hello, and welcome to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. We're a show about food, politics, and identity, and I'm your host tonight, Leah Kurtz. And today we have in the studio with us Mercedes Golub. She is a Venezuelan-born self-taught chef and culinary artist, um, famous for her My Venezuelan Kitchen pop-up dinners that she's begun hosting at um, places like the Brooklyn Kitchen. She's also taught... Um, cooking classes for the Union Square Green Market, um, among many other uh, culinary, educational, and kind of experimental projects she's worked on. Mercedes, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Leah. Um, so Mercedes and I met actually earlier this year um, when I wrote a little story about her for Edible Brooklyn and was able to actually go to one of her um, farm-to-table dinners at the Brooklyn Kitchen, which was absolutely incredible. Um, it was amazing, both aesthetically beautiful and as delicious as her plating was gorgeous. And I got to learn about um, her a little bit about her background and some of the work she does. So I if you know, I might reference some of that, I guess, <laughs> today. But but yeah, I, I kind of it's uh, it was a great introduction to your work. And um, yeah, like it's really fascinating kind of your background, um, I, I think it's especially kind of interesting how you got into food itself, but I'll let you maybe um, tell us a little bit about where you're from, 
um, and maybe one of your first food memories um, and how you got into cooking. Of course. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, the pop-ups have been really, really fun. It's been a way, been, it's been a way to experiment and also mix what I brought from Venezuela and all the things that has, that have been an influence um, from living here in New York and also from my time in Miami. Uh, also being exposed to all the great produce that I can find here and also um, all that touch and all that uh, confluence of different cultures that happen here in the city. Uh, that has been great. Also traveling um, within the United States and getting to learn that it's not always uh, pizza and burgers what, and taste this uh, food culture. Um, that has been very influential and, and has enriched a lot um, my food and the way that I cook. Um, one of my initial food memories is uh, always goes back to my grandma's kitchen. Mm. Um, my family itself is not, I, I don't come from a, a big family, I'm the only child. Uh, but I have a lot of cousins and we all had that uh, Sunday supper family gathering where everybody goes and grandma cooked a big meal for everybody. So those are like the things that from very little inspire me that like that sharing and that gathering around food and like f basically every family event was around food. What were, I feel like grandmothers feature really prominently on this <laughs> show. We all have like a, a grandmother food story. Um, what were some of the things you remember eating at the table, like with all of your family or your cousins and your extended uh, well, family? One of the things that I was a really picky eater oh, and me. like sometimes she made special things for me because I wouldn't eat whatever like she had cooked Lucky. for <laughs> very spoiled yes from the <laughs> beginning uh, but what I remember the most is uh, cachapas that's um uh, they can be made different ways it's basically a sweet corn batter that can be made steam wrapped like a tamal oh. or it could be also be like a corn pancake made on a on a griddle so what what she used to make especially for me was the steamed ones. And they are not hard to make, but they take some, a little bit, like they are kind of industrious in the way that the batter is kind of like um, liquid and you have to wrap that. It's not like the tamale that like, it's kind of like it has a consistency that you can wrap, mm. but it's more liquid. So you have to be careful that it doesn't spill out of the, of the corn leaves, uh, mm. the wrapper. So yeah, I really appreciate that she <laughs> took the time and she made like a big batch for me so I could take home wow. and basically eat that every day. Uh, wow. So that's a pretty sweet grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember you saying um, before that, yeah, you were kind of like a meat and potatoes kind of diet, like you weren't really um curious about food as much and a little hesitant until um you met your husband mm -hmm. and his influence yeah. really like kind of pushed you 
Um, and so what were some of those things? I remember you saying there were a lot of like some food trucks and like um, some different things that you got exposed to that really got you like excited about food. Well, it all started um, back in Venezuela. We used to go out and eat a lot. You were in and Caracas? Yeah, okay. we, we were in Caracas. We went to college together, actually to high school together. It's a oh, right. Yeah, you're story. like way back sweethearts. <laughs> Um, and during college, we had like lunch breaks and we would go and every day try something different. Uh, at that time, like we weren't that adventurous. Like I guess like Caracas also wasn't like a super huge city with many different things. And to you were try. on like a high school budget. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but I remember one of the first things that we had together was sushi and I thought it was a horrible experience. <laughs> like just the idea of eating something that was raw and wrapped in rice that I couldn't wrap my my head around that idea. But we just took a trip to Japan. Now I think like being oh. exposed to come like full circle and did the full the full circle uh and now i i love it like i think everything is an acquired taste and you just have to try things and did that kind of like when you moved together to miami which is where mm -hmm. you lived before coming to new york city what was some of the like what was kind of the food culture there that you kind of got immersed in so i remember you saying you worked on a food truck and yes. you kind of really got both exposure eating the food, which you had been doing, um, and being a little more adventurous there, but then you actually got to start cooking. Yes. Uh, well, my, my whole thing with food and, and like in kitchens started with uh, Chef Jeremiah. He had a food truck called the Gastropod, uh, the Gastropod and it was really fun. I one, one night at one of his events, I offered myself to help. Uh, and he was happy to have, to have help in the kitchen. So that that was mostly like uh, American food, uh, and that I mean that whole rush in the kitchen, and um, that was really inspiring. And that adrenaline shot of like being in the kitchen in a busy kitchen with a line of people uh, that we had to serve was uh, fun. Um, but yeah, Chef Jeremiah was one of my my first like senseis in the kitchen, <laughs> and and it was great. From like that experience was amazing. And then when you moved to New York, how how long did it take for you to start kind of flexing those muscles and wanting to do events yourself and wanting to create food that? you know, was reflective of the cuisine you grew up eating in Venezuela, but also like a little different? Well, it took it took me about two years. I joined a CSA, the Williamsburg, Greenpoint Williamsburg CSA. Oh, yeah. I was a member of that CSA for a while. Um, I love that CSA. So, uh, you get so many vegetables, <laughs> yes. like so many. <laughs> they don't tell you. <laughs> they don't prepare you. <laughs> but it's great. So, yeah, it's a lot of work. You have to cook a lot. So that was what got me into, well, this is the food that I like, but this is the ingredients that I have. So how do I combine all of these to to keep making the food that I eat? And so we started, well, I started making these uh, mixes and experiments in the kitchen. And at the end, I was asking myself all the time, like, Boy, is this really Venezuelan food? Like, what is this thing we're eating? Um, 
And well, it's it's um it's a manifestation of uh, things colliding. It's what I said earlier, like what what you have within, what you brought with you, and what you have around you, uh, and how everything comes together, and how you can create something different. So that was the idea behind the pop-up, and that's how like I started creating all these recipes and all these pictures, and my Instagram was like popping a little bit everywhere. <laughs> uh, and people were asking to try the food that where was the restaurant, and, and they still ask, where is the restaurant? And I don't really have a restaurant. It's just a pop-up that happens every three months um, where I try to showcase the, the food that is seasonal and... Uh, I came across these amazing grains from the Union Square Grains Project that I could actually, uh, it's corn that it's uh, grown here in upstate New York that I cooked and I turned into arepas and I started making everything from scratch. Uh, our tamales called ayacas that we make for the holidays. So I started making that whole experimentation with all those res uh, classic recipes that now I don't really like I don't know where is the like where is the I don't know like where should I categorize that like is that Venezuelan it's Venezuelan American uh, who knows but it's uh, people like it <laughs> I like it so it's it's been my way my way to to share uh, that combination yeah and it kind of really speaks to this uh, kind of archaic and just totally false notion of authenticity like you're Venezuelan American and whatever you make therefore is going to be that like if you're putting that intention into it and you're it you're yeah you're using what you have and so it's um yeah it's like very creative and kind of the the most I think iconic representation of what it means to be an immigrant in this country like you're taking what's what you know mm -hmm. and using what you have and making something really beautiful with it that's you know like meaningful for you and obviously like, people around are pretty excited about it too exactly so i and i get also very excited that it has such an amazing uh well reviews and and all the feedback that i have been uh, getting so it's it's been really fun to see like uh, this is a project that is also attracting people that think alike um, and that it's been connecting me also with uh, food uh, growers and people in the food industry that otherwise I wouldn't have been in touch with. Right. So, like, who are some of the people you work with when you're planning one of these big dinners? Because it's usually, what, like four, 30, 40 seats? Yes. Okay. So who are some of maybe the farms or the growers that you work with in order to try to keep it as hyper-local as possible? Right. Well, I go a lot to, to the Union Square uh, market. Um, I source my grains from the, from the grain stand. Uh, and like seriously, I just go to the market and pick what I feel that it's uh, the freshest and the most beautiful stuff that I can find. Um, of course, I have like recipes in mind, but it's it's always it always comes to what I what I see at the moment. And so it's kind of fresh. like improvised. Yes. Okay. A little mm. bit. Mm -hmm. And then. Um, I, I forget if we talked about this, like if you have an art background or not, because you 
like your plating is really beautiful. Like if you go on her Instagram, which is I am Bananista, right? Um, you would see this. Like it's very colorful, edible flowers. Oh, and we have to talk about the arepas and the colors that you've made. Anyway, it's just I I never asked that before. Was that like? Uh, no, I don't. But I have always gravitated to graphic design, and I have always worked at. My background is in advertising, right. and I work as a project manager for advertising and brand. Uh, so I have always been around graphic designers and artists. So that has always like, and and I work with them to like try to make the best work that mm-hmm. we can. So. I have been developing an eye for photography and and for I, I have always also had a manual manual skill and I have always liked do, uh, doing crafts and and all that sort of stuff. Uh, for me, it's relaxing just to play it for hours. Yeah, uh, and also to cook for hours. Uh, and yeah, well, it shows. <laughs> so um, some of yeah, so you've kind of. I think are unique in that you have done some things with arepas that we, or I don't know, I don't know how many people have also done, but I'm going to say maybe not so many. So do you want to talk a little bit about kind of your experimentation with the food? And then also I um, maybe some of the feedback like on social media, like people who are Venezuelan and not Venezuelan kind mm-hmm. of like engaging with what you've done with the cuisine. Well, with the colors, it all started with the... I think the inspiration was uh, all the rainbow f- rainbow food that it's around, and the rainbow bagel. One day I went to the 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 bagel shop and I bought one, and I'm like, "Well, this is a bread, and like I can do this also with my bread that is the arepa." Um, for a long time, I I always try to make everything as natural as possible. So for a long time, I struggled to to create the color blue. So I was like, what is that food that it's not sweet, that it's not, that it's natural, like that it's neutral, not, yeah. Um, that also doesn't have like a very strong flavor that I can mix with the white masa and create this, this color. And I couldn't find anything and it's a primary color, so it's really hard to, to get it. So one day I, I think it was on Instagram that I saw a smoothie uh, made with uh, pea flour. Uh, if you sip the the pea flower uh, on water, uh, it creates a very bright uh, blue tea. So I'm like, this is it. I'm gonna make the blue the blue tea, and the blue tea is gonna become the blue arepas. So I did it different ways. There's different way to do it. You can do it with uh, vegetable juices, or you can just go straight and and use the the vegetable powders like there's spirulina. Um, beet powder um, dragon fruit that it's pink and it gives you like a very bright hot pink color uh, turmeric uh, so I'm like okay let me let me pick all the like the seven colors of the rainbow and and make all the shades and make all the arepas and with the blue one it's like I cracked the code <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the well the feedback has been like it's sometimes it's a little bit extreme. Like some people think it's great and colorful and amazing. Other people like 
like everything haters are gonna hate and they say that <laughs> the trolls are gonna come yeah <laughs> that it's gross and blah 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 but like literally like the the powders don't give any flavor to the masa so it's only a visual thing uh, and it's been fun to to teach the to teach to to children because for them it's play-doh right and it's just such a fun thing to do and if the powders are giving any nutrition content to the arepa that's great as well yeah it's not like the artificial like coloring that is probably in those bagels (laughs) (laughs) just gonna call that (laughs) and like the marbling if you look on our instagram you'll see like some of them are marbled and it's just yeah it's really beautiful and colorful and it's like and I, i think it's a nice kind of counter to like the super trendy unicorn everything because you do a lot of education in your posts about your process, like mm-hmm. what you're doing, what you're using, what your ingredients are, this like, you know, local um, kind of heirloom corn that you're mm-hmm. using. And so it's, you know, it's both, uh, you know, aesthetically really beautiful, but it also has depth. It's not this like shallow industrialized product just to get likes and just to get people to like freak out about it. Like it's really, it's beautiful, but has a lot of substance as well. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I think the other thing that inspired that now that I'm tracking back in my mind um, is that I try to, I love leftovers. Uh, Anytime that I can work with leftovers and turn that into something different and new and just have another meal uh, around it. Uh, Anytime I have like soup or like any vegetable juice, whatever it's in there, I just mix it up with mix it. Sorry, mix it with the with the with the masa, and mm. that gives flavor and also nutritious content to the arepa. So um, it's like a win-win. Yeah, yeah. And then you also, I want to talk a little bit about your cooking classes. So not only you know do you do these events where you're cooking and you're having this very nice like sit-down meal. Um, but yeah, you also are teaching classes so people can do this themselves in their homes. What are some of those classes that you've taught? Uh, well, I I don't have any classes scheduled at the moment, but I have been doing them at the Brooklyn Kitchen and also at the Dynamite Shop. Mm. Uh, for the Dynamite Shop, it has been for children. It's been really fun. Now, where is that? Uh, this is in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, the whole concept around the place is that it's an after-school program, so okay. they have different kinds of uh, cooking programs for children and teenagers. Uh, the first time that I did it, I was really scared. <laughs> um, I think it was different a different thing than doing it uh, with adults. Um, I was like, oh my God, all these children, they were going to be like super honest with everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to get ready for that. But they were super sweet and super open to everything. And it was really fun. Um, I can't wait to do it again. And what age group? Uh, I, they were like um, between seven and and twelve. Okay, yeah, and yeah. That's a was, good. That's they're still they're still kind of like open and uh, it was not so, too much ego. <laughs> uh, it it was great because like all of them were already like interested in food. Some mm. of them have blogs and oh wow, it was so sweet. And did you do the arepas or did you make something else? We made the arepas with okay. the, some of the colors. Okay. Yeah. And, and we got to like 
do the marbling and, wow. and all that. Wow. And actually, it was at the dynamite shop where we did the where I did the, the third dinner. Uh, it was kind of a location uh, change for that, also to like try another kitchen and a different neighborhood, and it was nice. Yeah, no, it, it's good. Um, we are going to take a quick break, and then we will be right back. A fond farewell Not overdue, but just as well Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, the first to pioneer colorful enameled cookware over 90 years ago. They've been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories the cookware creates and the style it expresses. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the Communications Director at Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food, and my favorite cookware is the 8-quart marine blue Dutch oven that never leaves my stovetop. Before we got our Le Creuset, the cookware we used most often was an antique Griswold cast iron pan. It didn't take long for me to realize how much I'd been missing enamel cast iron in my life. Le Creuset has a superior heat retention of cast iron, but paired with the unparalleled performance and ease of enamel. That means delicious food with easy cleanup. Head to lecreuset.com slash HRN. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com slash HRN to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20% off the new Le Creuset cookbook with the code HRN. Welcome back to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. I am your host tonight, Leah Kurtz, and we are welcoming back. Um, we're uh, having our little conversation with Mercedes Golip. Um, it's not a little conversation. It's a great conversation. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but we've just been discussing some of her work doing pop-up dinners um, um, and also teaching culinary classes um, focused on food that is Venezuelan inspired but produced with local ingredients um, and so I'm very curious um, how voting went yesterday you were this is your second year you said voting yes I voted yesterday um, well, in this little bubble that we lived in in New York um, things went well <laughs> I think <laughs> Um, but there's so much still we need to do. So much, yeah. It's been inspiring to see all of the, uh, you know, like women of color, queer folks, like indigenous people, like, you know, winning. And, and it's also been like shocking that oh, this is the first time, like this is the first mm -hmm. time like a Native American woman yeah. has been, you know. So, yeah, it's kind of, um, it's always a little bit startling, uh, but at least some good things have come. And then how, like, how has that been for you the past two years, um, voting and going through that process? Um, like, how, I don't know, how does that feel, like, as a fairly recent immigrant? Uh, well, coming from Venezuela, um, I don't believe in not voting. I think that every time that you have 
the chance to exercise your rights. You have to do it. It's a, it's a civil duty that you have to take seriously. Um, uh, we kind of lost that option in Venezuela. You still can vote, but all those elections are completely rigged. So uh, do it when you can and, and use it as a tool to change. Um, it's it's very important to do it, and it's it's an obligation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. When you when you can do it, it's certainly not easy for everyone. And we even saw that in Brooklyn. You know, like these long lines mm -hmm. and people running out of ballots and one machine working. It was just kind of pathetic. It's almost like they don't want you to vote. <laughs> um, it's almost like there's a system set against us. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like hard and I think it is kind of uh, always refreshing to hear from a perspective from someone coming from another place where like you've also, you know, had and are currently experiencing a lot of political turmoil to, as a reminder of like, you know, we do take a lot for granted here. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's important that for those of us who can exercise that right to yeah. do it and to and not just that one day, but I think and this is what's most inspiring is like the more of the common mainstream push to be involved in local politics and mm -hmm. grassroots activism as a part of our lives, not this one thing we do once, yeah. you know, once a year. Um, which, which, yeah, I think even a lot of your work around food, it's still kind of drawing those connections. Yeah, I mean, I think also like when you think about like how to get involved in politics uh, sometimes it's not always the way you think like in like getting involved in in laws and and all that but it also can be like you can find something that you like and how you see it's been working like how, how the law the laws are around that thing that you like and see how you can get involved in this case um i think that the most you know about your food and the most you know about where everything comes from, uh, it's also a way to participate, um, supporting your local producers and getting to know them and getting to know the struggle and, and how that food gets to your plate. Uh, it's important and it's a way to participate. Yeah, and also to, you know, kind of divert those funds that maybe you would be spending just like in a you know, grocery store buying super industrialized food that you have no idea where it came from and no idea who picked it and how much they were paid. And, you know, at least as you can, um, buying from like the, you know, familiar faces at like the farmer's market or wherever. And not, not to say that there aren't like major labor issues and even the local, agricultural system here but at least yeah it's it's more traceable mm -hmm. and if you can join a csa that's also a way to create community you meet a lot of people that i mean and you become friends with a lot of people that otherwise you wouldn't even meet in a city where like you, you can get isolated yeah it's true i mean if anything you can just like commiserate over what you're gonna do with all the kohlrabi that you just got <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and, and kudos to my CSA. Uh, I am no longer with them because I, I moved away from that area and it's hard for me to pick the vegetables now. But they were my starting point to do these demos uh, 
in a public environment because um, like they, I was posting recipes and sharing on their Instagram and one day they asked me to do it for uh, the kickoff of the season and I was glad to do it and I think that's how everything started. Wow, so you never know how your life can change when you <laughs> join the CSA. CSA. <laughs> Um, so speaking of some of your events, I know you have um, an event coming up this weekend. Yeah, this Saturday, um, I'm going to join uh, Rochelle Raminet, and she runs the Supernatural Cafe, and we're going to be at the Neighborhood Studio. Um, she has a, a softball, uh refresh workshop, so we'll be cooking a meal that you can actually uh, having your fridge and like repurpose for the whole week so you don't have to cook every day and you still have something plant-based and, and healthy to have through through the, to get you through the week um, so I'm gonna be making uh, this uh, it's a quick bread made with uh, cassava flour mm-hmm. um, and we're gonna top it with uh, a local ceviche made with local ingredients as well and also the Next weekend, Saturday, 17, the 17th, I'm going to be at the Union Square uh, Green Market. I'm going to be doing a demo this whole month of November. They're going to be showcasing different chefs and immigrant chefs and how they add to the Thanksgiving tradition to the table. Oh, so okay. it's going to be fun if you can pop there for the whole... What time are all. you going to be there? Uh, it's going to be from 10 to... It usually goes from 10 to 1 or 2 p.m. And what are you going to be cooking? I don't know yet. Oh, okay, I'm right. Still, yeah, I'm you've got to go getting. see what the ingredients are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I like that you brought up the ceviche. So you have a vegan ceviche recipe. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, for that ceviche, I use uh, shiitake mushroom, mushrooms instead of fish. Uh, they kind of get that spongy texture and they absorb all the flavors of everything that you have around. It's like I think it's like a salsa, uh, but then you have the you have the mushroom to to give you that Fine. consistency and that meaty sensation. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about that recipe, and I have been making that for two years now, um, it's that you can as the season progresses you can basically add any vegetable that you have available uh, the only thing that you need is a little bit of heat and uh, some acidity like lemon juice or you can use vinegar as well uh, but basically at this point of the year you can be using sweet potatoes and uh, squash all that it's good wow and all season ceviche yeah i love it and you got into experimenting with plant-based foods because you were vegan for a little while, correct? Yes. For health issues, I decided to just go as clean as as I could. Uh, And going vegan was the option. Um, The Hispanic cuisine is not uh, the friendliest uh, vegan cuisine, but you can start making substitutions and there's a point where you can like get it flowing and it's uh like now i have a lot of recipes that i i can share and you can post if you want oh, um, yeah. 
for how to make empanadas and how to make a, a picadillo. Picadillo is traditionally made with meat. I have a recipe that it's also with mushrooms. Uh, so yeah, it was a little bit of experimentation and trying to like still uh, get that hearty and like feeling and satisfying food, but in a healthier or like a non-meat way. Right, and it's great that like you're also, I mean, first of all, mushrooms are so under like utilized, I feel like, especially now with all this like the plant-based meats and all the burgers, which it's like fine. Those are, I mean, those have their place, but um, I really like that. Yeah, you're kind of educating around like these are all ingredients that we could just go find anywhere yeah. and that it's like um, respecting the seasonality mm-hmm. of access to them. And if it's not mushrooms, like you can play with corn or it's just a matter of like taking that consistency and see what else you can substitute with. Yeah, and really getting down to the kind of the bones, no pun intended, um, <laughs> of like what those flavors are. Like when exactly. you think of like what is ceviche, like what are those actual flavors that you're craving? What are the seasonings and the spices and the texture, not just exactly what it's made from. And I think that's really cool about your cooking is like your approach is just super open-minded and, and also really like, yeah, improvised just based on kind of what mm-hmm. you have that, yeah, I think that's where like creati- creativity and even sometimes in like when your resources are limited, like your your creativity then flows sometimes yeah. even more because you kind of like you have to think outside the box. Yeah, and now I'm writing the recipes, but at the beginning it was kind of uh, like hard to do it just because of that, because I tend to improvise a lot. Uh, so now when I'm, when I'm writing them, my my advice is like, you don't have to go by the letter here. You can just play around with what you think could be a good substitute for these. Yeah, I think like, yeah, learning like, and this is something that's great that you are infusing in your recipes is teaching people to just trust themselves, mm-hmm. like trust your sense of taste, try the food while you're cooking it. Like, yes, this is a- very important. <laughs> Food without seasoning, it's not good. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> nope. As a as a white person from the Midwest, uh, I know this. <laughs> I know this very well. <laughs> I think that's the first. The first when we're cooking, when we're making the arepas at the class, I encourage people to. It's the the dough is pre-cooked, so there's no reason you're not gonna get sick by trying it. There's nothing worse than bread without salt, and oh. that's a bread. So that's your the pocket where you're gonna add other stuff, so make that flavorful. <laughs> I'm excited because I already had plans to eat arepas this weekend, even before I I remember that we were chatting, and so I knew this conversation was going to like get me like really craving them so hard. So I'm glad that I already have that in place. And just another idea for your arepas this weekend: uh, if you want to substitute the water for something else, it could be. Uh, plant-based milk or a broth or a vegetable soup i encourage you to do yeah that. <laughs> yeah because yeah that like totally i'm sure like takes it up up and up a notch yeah like, and also uses leftovers if you have them i exactly definitely do now is the soup season so we've all probably got some soup hanging out mm-hmm. well we will share some of those recipes for sure because i think it's great if people can like not only hear 
you know, kind of your approach and hear what you do, but then also be able to try it themselves. Um, and um, we'll be sharing the links for those um, events as well. So if you have some time this weekend and next weekend to stop by and check out Mercedes either at her um, cooking class or the demo at the Union Square Green Market, um, you will you will not regret it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a good time, and she is, as you can tell, lovely to chat with. Oh, thank um, you so thank much. Thank you so much for for being here and you can follow her at I am Bananista on Instagram and then Mercedes Golip on Facebook. Um, you're not on Twitter. No, right? I'm not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, it's fine. It's a, it's a dark place. So <laughs> <laughs> many social media. So keep up with it. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been wonderful to have you and we will see you next week. Thank you for having me. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.